Oh, come on, give him praise. Give Jesus. I'm talking King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Mighty Redeemer. Come on, let's get some African fire. Come on, high five to let me say it the way Pastor Mitch says it. High five, two or three people around you right now. Come on. Say so you ask him, have you lost some weight? You're looking so good today. I'm deeply, deeply honored to preach in the amazing Imaginations Church, Sydney. And I'm deeply humbled to fill the pulpit of the greatest missions preacher I've ever heard, Pastor Jack Haynes. Pastors Jack and Carol, thank you for all that you have. Come on, can we love the father and the mother of the house? Amazing. Our lives are never the same, and I can speak, I know, from many, many churches around the world that God has used Pastor Jack and Carol to just pour into us and so many, and uh, we've never been the same and never want to go back, and we give God the praise and the thanks. I want to turn to the 28th chapter of the book of Acts. From the Amplified Version, there's kind of a flow on the Amplified today. Acts chapter 28 and verse 12, we landed at Syracuse and remained there three days. And from there, we made a circuit following the coast and we reached Regium. And one day later, a south wind sprang up. And the next day we arrived at Puteoli. There we found some Christian brethren and were entreated to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the Christian brethren there, having heard news of us, came as far as the Forum of Apius and the three taverns to meet us. When Paul saw them, He thanked God and received new courage. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and received new courage. Would you lift your hands with me, Father? Let your Holy Spirit come in a powerful way at these moments. As we set our hearts before you, that your word might have free course today. Holy Spirit, impart. We don't want to just hear a sermon. God, we want a divine impartation. Come, Holy Spirit, and impart your word and bring that life of the word, making this moment And moments in your presence so defining. May they be defining moments, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. From the time that Paul the apostle encountered, actually Saul of Tarsus, 
encountered Jesus on the Damascus Road. He lived a life of courage and bravery to which very few men can lay claim. His missionary journeys, he made three of them. They reveal a man of God who was bold, a man of God who was determined, refusing to be inhibited, intimidated by anyone or anything. In Acts chapter 13, he withstood Eliamus, the sorcerer, face to face. When he was stoned in Lystra and his disciples were mourning over his apparent corpse in Acts 14, he revived courageously and he went back into the city. In Acts chapter 16, after suffering a beating in Philippi, he and Silas were thrown into prison and around midnight with their feet in stocks, they began to sing praises to God. As one writer said, they gave the first gospel concert in Europe. Paul withstood the intellectualism of Athens in Acts chapter 17. He withstood the corruption of Corinth in Acts chapter 18 and the violence of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. In Jerusalem and Caesarea in Acts 21 and Acts 23, Paul was undeterred when he was facing the abuse of his kinsmen and the Roman governors. And he was absolutely amazing as he inspired courage in others during the storm and shipwreck described by Luke the doctor so vividly in Acts chapter 27. And then we come to Acts 28 from which we drew our text this morning and we see Paul standing on the shore of what is today called St. Paul's Bay on the tiny island of Malta. His courage prevailed first through the unfazed dealing with a serpent's bite and then through the healing of the governor's father and subsequent ministry on the island. Three months later when Paul finally left Malta, he departed more like a conquering soldier than a prisoner of Rome. And indeed, in God's eyes, that's exactly what Paul was, a conquering soldier. In verses 11 through 16 of Acts chapter 28, Luke describes the subsequent journey on to Rome. They sailed from Malta, stopping at Syracuse and Sicily, and from there to Regium on the toe of Italy. Then Puteoli on the modern, on the bay of modern-day Naples. And from there they walked 224 kilometers to Rome. About 68 kilometers outside Rome, the most wonderful thing happened. Christian brothers and sisters from the church at Rome had walked from the city center to greet Paul at the market of Apius. They walked 68 kilometers of his 224-kilometer journey by foot to meet him. Another 16 kilometers closer at a place called the Three Taverns, others traveled 
from Rome to greet Paul and to walk into the city with him. The apostle had faced and he had come through many calamities to get to Rome and now here he is. He's so very dear to the place that he had so longed to see. And in being met by a part of the church to which he had written an epistle some years earlier and encountering, Paul encountering this touching demonstration of the love of the saints of Rome, he gave thanks to God and he found renewed courage. He gave thanks to God and our text says he found courage to fulfill his mission. And his mission was to advance the kingdom of God by bearing testimony of Jesus in Rome for the final days of his life. I want to minister to you for the next hour or so on courageous pursuit of the cause of a king. Courageous pursuit of a cause or the cause of a king. One of the most famous art museums in Europe is the Louvre. It has a few names, the Louvre or Louvre or Louvre, depending on where you come from. It's located, of course, in Paris, France. The Louvre houses 460 works of art with over 20 world-renowned paintings and masterpieces. Of course, without question, the most famous painting of all is the Mona Lisa by Leonardo da Vinci. It took da Vinci four years to paint the Mona Lisa from the year 1503 to 1507. The Mona Lisa, like most of the other 20 world-renowned paintings, is actually priceless. But for insurance purposes, the Mona Lisa has had the highest ever insurance value for a painting. Today, in 2023, the insurance worth or coverage is believed to be 1 billion U.S. dollars. And that's simply for insurance purposes only. It's priceless. It can never, a price can never be put on the Mona Lisa. They once ran a contest in a newspaper providing a prize to the person that gave the best answer to this question and here's the question. If a fire broke out in the Louvre and you could save only one painting, which one would it be? If a fire broke out, this is in a local newspaper, there's a prize to be given for the best answer. If a fire broke out and you could only save one painting, which would it be? Well, a man by the name of Tristan Bernard, a French novelist, he won the prize 
with this reply. (laughs) And this sounds so Aussie to me. I would save the one nearest the exit. I love the way you guys just say it as it is. I've always loved that about you. I would save the one nearest the exit. Church, this is not quite the type of courage we are talking about today. What we are considering this morning is to lay hold of courage to rescue the priceless, perishing souls of men. That God, by his Holy Spirit, in these moments that we would receive an impartation and rise up with renewed courage to go into the fire, that God, by the Holy Ghost, would stir our hearts afresh and we would rise up not simply to rescue the one nearest the exit, but to courageously pursue the cause of a king. For indeed, this kind of courage is one of the greatest needs, I believe. I believe this kind of courage is one of the greatest needs in the church of Jesus Christ. You see, courage, it means trusting that What shakes us today will shape us tomorrow. Courage means trusting that what shakes us today will shape us tomorrow. Courage means every school is, or every storm is a school. Courage means every trial is a test. Courage means every experience is an education. Every storm is a school. Every trial is a test. Every experience is an education. Courage means every difficulty is for our development. That there are far greater places that God has for us to attain and for us to move into. There are greater things to be done. There are a people waiting on the other side of our obedience. And it takes courageous. I am honored today to speak to the most courageous people. You're known as Aussies for your courage. This church is known for the incredible courage that you have demonstrated year after year after year backing down when your pastor stands before you and pours out his heart and the great team that he has developed stands before you and pours out their hearts to what is waiting for us, waiting for you, you rise up in courage. Though you may be shaken as we all have been over these past three years, with this pandemic that Papa was talking about earlier. Yet God by the Holy Ghost is raising up a mighty people and doing something supernatural because we are led by a supernatural captain who has a supernatural purpose. 
And he's working through a supernatural people to accomplish a supernatural vision for this cause. Such courage when every storm is a school, when every trial is a test, when every experience is an education, when every difficulty is for our development, such courage will keep us from a casual approach to the cause of our king, our king. Such courage will keep us from the casual approach to the cause of our king. Everybody shout king. You see, until we embrace Christ as king, as sovereign, we cannot be confident that the cause of Christ will triumph. Until we embrace Christ as king, as Lord of heaven and earth, we cannot be confident that the cause of Christ will triumph. We must rise up, men and women of God, and we must embrace him as sovereign. As I mentioned earlier, Paul wrote an epistle to the church in Rome some years earlier before he met, 68 kilometers before he met these um, transformed men and women And then 16 kilometers outside of Rome, another group at the three taverns. Years earlier, Paul had written to this church and he stated in verses 14 and 15 of Romans chapter one, listen, love, love obligates me to preach to everyone, to those who are among the elite and those who are among the outcasts. To those who are wise and educated, as well as to those who are foolish and unlearned. This is why I am so excited about coming to preach the wonderful message of Jesus to you in Rome. Love obligates me. Listen to what he said. We're going to learn a lesson. Love obligates me to preach to everyone. And here's our takeaway. Here's our lesson this lesson that we're going to focus on for these next few moments is what passionately drove Paul the Apostle to courageously pursue the cause of a king. Through shipwreck, through his back being beaten, through all that this man faced, the passionate drive in his life comes from this lesson. And here it is. If we're going to courageously pursue the cause of a king, we must cultivate our love for God and our love for people. Love obligates me. It's love which drives me. It's love, Paul said, which will take me to regions beyond that I might preach Christ crucified and risen again. If we're going to passionately and courageously, if we're going to rise up as a courageous army of God and passionately pursue the cause of our king, we've got to cultivate our love for God. We've got to fall in love with Jesus and fall in love with people. One of the core beliefs of our Christian faith is that God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says, those who are loved by God, 
Let his love continually pour from you to one another. Because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered. I love that word. I come from a fatherless continent. Dr. Sothin can tell you. And our Nigerian brethren can tell you. We come from a fatherless continent. Not biologically. But true fathering is such a cry in our continent. I don't want to detour because I'm on a time situation here. But this word is such a a heavy word for me. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The light of God's love shined within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. That's what drove Paul the apostle right there. We can never outlove the one whose very existence defines love. For you see, God loves the people around me far more than I could ever love them. And if that's true, then doesn't it make sense? If, if, if God loves the people around me far more than I could ever love them, then doesn't it make sense to first and foremost pursue loving the one who can give us the courage to love others the way we long to love them, but so often we fall short? Courageously pursue the one whose very existence is the definition of love. Listen, the more I come to Jesus who has a love for people that goes far beyond anything that I can muster on my own, his love will slowly transform who I am, renewing my courage to demonstrate that love in ways I never could on my own. You know, when I'm preaching like this in Africa, man, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I worked a long time on that statement, and, and you, you guys are like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I'm going to repeat this. Come on, let's get African for just a minute. The more I come to Jesus who has a love for people that goes far beyond anything that I can muster on my own, his love will slowly transform who I am, renewing my courage to demonstrate that love in ways I never could on my own. Come on, church. This is why we must cultivate our love for God first. Fall in love with him. I love as our worship team today. You could just see the word that Bethany brought to us. You could just see falling in love with Jesus, man. This is what it's all about, guys. This is what motivates us right here. Faith, promise, giving, Faith Promise Card is a demonstration that I love you, God. I love your cause. I'm, 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 I'm totally in. I'm totally sold out because of what you've done for me. 
Heather stood here and said, what's God done? How God has transformed her life and her husband and their family, their kids. Oh, God, may we fall in love with you. When I fall in love with him, I will fall in love with his cause. You can't, when I fall in love with the king, you, you can't fall in love with the king and not fall in love with his cause. Come on, everybody. You see, more often than not, listen to me, more often than not, I don't have the kind of love within me that has the power to transform communities. More often than not, I don't have the, I don't have the kind of love within me that has the power to transform culture. But the more I fall in love with God, his love will be available to overflow those that are around me. His, his love will spill over to them, transforming them. Who was it? I think it was Papa who talked about earlier. Just go out there full of hope. Just go out there full of hope. Go stand in the mall full of hope. And somebody is going to see that and it's just going to pour over to them. And they'll come to transformation. This is not rocket science. As regards loving people, Jesus is our perfect example of what it looks like to be loving. For he lived, oh my goodness, he lived an act, a life of active love for those around him. In Mark chapter 5, and I, I close my first closing. In Mark chapter 5, you remember, I don't know, it's been a while since I've been here, but you remember, we have seven closings. <laughs> In Nairobi, I, my church gives me seven closings. You ever heard your pastor say, In closing, and then he preaches for another 20 minutes? Actually, Papa is scriptural. It is, because in Colossians 3, Paul said, finally, brethren, then he wrote three more chapters. Come on, somebody. That dog, uh huh? Now, in Mark chapter 5, come on, he lived a life. Jesus lived a life of active love, pro, so proactive in loving those around him. And just, oh, how many examples we could give, but just one as we finish. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus meets a man possessed by evil spirits, having been cast away by the community he lived and worked in. His neighbors and relationships bound him in chains and left him to die in the tombs of the city. Their frustration and their fear of this man led them to do the unthinkable. And here's the unthinkable. Their fear of him led them. This is his family. This is his friends. This is his relationships. It led them to do the unthinkable. And you know what the unthinkable is? To isolate him away from human touch. It's unthinkable. To isolate him away from human relationship, to put him in the tombs. <laughs> he would suffer not only from the pain of evil spirits, but also by the abandonment of people that he once called family and friends. But Jesus shows up. 
Come on, somebody. But Jesus shows up. That's what this is all about right here. Helping all over the world to make it possible for Jesus to show up. When Jesus showed up, having crossed a raging sea for one man, one man who had been abandoned, one man who had encountered the unthinkable, Jesus very courageously goes to be with this man in the midst of his isolation. And he courageously does the one thing. Jesus courageously does the one thing that had been denied him for so long. That's what this is all about right here. Christ boldly shows love in reaching out to do what? To deliver him? Well, yes, of course. But that's not the first thing. To cast out 2,000 devils from demons from him? Yes. Thank you, Father. But that's not the first thing. Jesus shows up. To be present with him. To stand by him. To enter his isolation. To enter his state of abandonment. And to be present. He is a very present help. In the time of trouble. This is what we're all about right here. To just simply get somebody to be present, to be there. And Christ boldly shows his love in reaching out to be present with him right where he was. And then he dealt with the issue and set the man free. You see, When God speaks, oftentimes his voice will call for an act of courage on our part. When God speaks, oftentimes his voice will call for an act of courage on our part. Is God speaking? Many years ago, I was invited to the nation of Somalia. The nation of Somalia is the 43rd largest nation in the world. It is a radical Islamic nation that has been torn apart by civil war since 1991. It's a nation population-wise about the same as Australia. It's 25 million. 
Listen. I was asked to go and to meet with nine of the 84 known believers in Somalia. Out of 25 million, there were 84 known believers. And I was asked to go and sit down with nine of them and spend a day. I boarded a private aircraft that had been provided for me from Nairobi and I flew to Mogadishu. We could not land at the airport because the airport had been completely bombed. Runways were cratered, impossible to land because of the bombs. So we landed in a grass field somewhere outside of Mogadishu. I really didn't know what I was about to get myself into, but I felt it would be such an honor to meet with nine, over 10% of the known Christians in the nation of Somalia of 25 million people. We landed. When we got out of this little plane, I was with a Norwegian relief worker. I had been invited by a relief organization run by the Swedes and the Norwegians. You will find Norwegians pretty much anywhere in the world. They're incredible people. And the Swedes. And I saw the arrivals lounge was a thatch roof, simple building made out of mangrove poles and a thatch roof. And inside was a little table. And I handed my passport and there was one little officer there who took a stamp and he stamped my passport and handed it back to me. And then I walked to a waiting vehicle, which was a pickup truck with blacked out windows and four riders with AK-47s in the back of the pickup truck. And we started our journey into Mogadishu. As we're driving, I see every building is bombed. Every building, every building that I saw was full of gun, shot, gun, uh, gun holes, gun bullets. We came to a place in the middle of Mogadishu. As we're traveling, the Norwegian says to me, there will come a moment where we will go to no man's land. Just follow me. I said, okay. We drive through this vehicle with these gunmen in the back. Windows all blacked out and we enter the city of Mogadishu. And what I learned was that in the southern part, Mogadishu is under the rulership of one warlord. In the northern part, it's under the rulership of another warlord, and there's a no man's land. We drove up to it, and I saw there's like a bobbed wire maze. We jump out. I follow the Norwegian. We run, holding our passports, running through this bobbed wire maze to get to the northern side of Mogadishu, 
When we did, we made it through safely and we entered another vehicle, blacked out windows, gunman riders, and we take off. Now into the north, we drive all through so as not to be followed. And then we turn a corner and enter a compound. Doors, the gates swing open. We enter, the gates close. And I was to spend the next three and a half days inside this relief organization's office. They had a little small bed upstairs for me. And the following morning... One by one, I began to see men into the compound and they came inside that small little room and eventually I saw nine men sit down and for the next 10 to 11 hours, it was as though I were meeting with Christ's disciples, with Christ's apostles. Every one of them looked in my eyes. Tears filled their eyes. And I began to pour into their lives. I began to father them because they were all young, radical men. Nine of the 84 believers. And I spent the day with men that I really was not even worthy. At the end of our day, and so much happened, my time is gone, but at the end of the day, I will never forget. As those men who every moment they live, they live under the threat of being killed. I remember asking each of them, how are you, how are your wives? How are your families? Tell me about your, your wives and your families. And each one of them said, Sir, our wives do not follow Christ. I said, What? No, our wives, all of our wives. We all have wives, we all have children. None of our wives are following Jesus. I said, Why? Tears begin to stream down their face. They said, sir, please help us. Please tell us what to do. I said, what do you mean? He said, sir, our wife, each one of our wives have come to us and told us, to me, my husband, to me, you are dead. Because you have followed Jesus. And we know, we know that it's just a matter of time. You will be killed and who will take care of the children? Dear husband, if I give my life to Jesus, I will be killed with you. Who will care for our children? As they shared this with me, tears began to flow down my face and I just, embraced every one of them and I began to pray and I began to cry out to God we knelt they knelt and I just began to lay hands on them and I began to pray God give them 
boldness and courage. And I'll never forget as those men rose up and they looked in my eyes, I saw life once more. I saw hope once more. And I saw men leave that place full of courage, full of strength. And I went the following day, which was a Sunday, and our church was meeting at a stadium at this time back in Nairobi. And I, went, I was taken, that was the only time I left the compound, I was driven to a building, the tallest building in the city, and it was bombed out, it was just a shell, but I managed to get to the rooftop so I could get a signal, and I called my church. It was the first time I had used technology, cell phone technology to call my church. It had just come to our nation. And the phone rang, and it's Sunday morning, and the stadium is filled with people. And I said to my congregation, the phone, the little cell phone rang, and they took a microphone, and they held it up to the earpiece of the phone. And I said, hello, church. Good morning from Mogadishu, Somalia. I am standing on the top of a building that has been bombed and blown out. And as I'm talking, you could hear gunfire in the background around me. And I said, I want to talk to you today about Somalia. I just met nine men who are of the 84 non-believers of this nation of Somalia. And I begin to relate their story and I begin to relate my moments with them and I begin to show them and share with them that by the courage I demonstrated to go through all that I went through to have that moment with them, they left that room full of courage. And I said, church, would you now stand? And may I hear at the end of this phone call, may I hear you as one great people begin to courageously cry out for the nation of Somalia. And I stand before you today and I tell you, I will never forget as long as I lived, hearing thousands of people began to cry out to God from Kenya for the nation of Somalia. And God, by his power, is bringing transformation to that land. And God, by his power, is doing something supernatural. This is our hour, church. Let's rise up in courage and let's demonstrate our love for God and our love for people that whatever the price, whatever the cost, they will be reached. God bless you.